You can bet on a lot of things, strategy, marketing plans, location, technology. But in the end, it's the talent that's the great differentiator because all of those other things can be copied and duplicated. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec, widely known as the 49ers Y coach. Now, your coach. Join me on this journey from why to purpose to impact. The key to it all, taking action. Prepare to get tactical as our guests share their daily playbook where purpose no longer has to be a distant North Star. It can become a 365 way of life. Let's go. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Deanne Turner into the conversation. A 33-year veteran of Chick-fil-A, Deanne was selected as the company's first female officer in 2001 and served as the vice president of talent and vice president of sustainability, working closely with Chick-fil-A's founder, Truett Cathy, in both roles. Under her leadership, Chick-fil-A enjoyed industry-leading employee engagement scores and became known for selecting the best talent in the hospitality business, maintaining a 95% retention rate for corporate staff and franchisees. Today, she leads her own organization and is the proud author of two best-selling books, Bet on Talent, which teaches leaders how to find and keep extraordinary talent, as well as her latest book, Crush Your Career, also the name of her podcast, which teaches talent how to be extraordinary. You're about to have a backstage pass for it all. Buckle up and let's welcome Deanne Turner into the Playmakers podcast. Deanne, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, we are so fired up to have you on. And for starters, let's take a trip down memory lane. Because if I were to look, whether it's on your website or your LinkedIn profile, everybody sees this veteran, I believe 33 years, I'm not aging anybody, but 33 years in Chick-fil-A. And the most recent was, well, I think some of the highlights, A, first female officer, which is so awesome. B, VP of talent, which we're going to definitely double click on that. But the origin story, just whether I read it in a book, whether I've heard it in your other interviews, it just had me on the edge of my seat. So in case playmakers have not heard your origin story, talk to us about how you initially found Chick-fil-A, broke in, because there's probably a lot of people listening in that may be thinking about career transitions or searches. I'd love to hear those first break into Chick-fil-A. Well, I started out and um, I was really young. I hadn't been out of college very long. I was working for an advertising firm and it became obvious that I needed to make a change for a couple reasons. One was geographical and one was a culture issue and needed to get into an organization with a better culture. My husband recommended Chick-fil-A to me. He had been to have lunch with some friends there and had recognized that they had a pretty remarkable culture, although I'm not sure he had the words for it at the time, but he looked like (laughs) a great place to work. So he suggested that I apply there, and I did. And two weeks later, I was turned down. And uh, they told me that they didn't have anything that matched my experience and background, which at that time I was in the advertising field. And so I told him, I said, well, that's that. He said, not so quick. Why don't you apply again? So I did. And two weeks later, I got another letter that was similar to the first one. Well, then I was really intrigued about what it was about this organization and why they weren't interested in me. And so I started uh, sending at that time, there really wasn't email. And, and so it was phone calls and snail mail and trying to keep in touch with them. And then one day, My husband was in his office and a lady came in and asked to use the telephone 
to call her husband because she had a flat tire. And my husband said, you don't need to do that. I'll change it for you. So he did. And she gave him a card for a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. And he said, oh, do you work at Chick-fil-A? And she said, I did, but I resigned because my husband's been transferred. He said, what department do you work in? She said, advertising. So he called me and he said, they have a position in advertising. And I called them and said, uh, I understand you have a position in advertising and I would like to apply for it. I think they were really just tired of me bugging them. And so they invited <laughs> me in for an interview that started a six-month interviewing process. And I finally got into the interview, the, the final interview with the vice president of, uh, or one of the final ones with the vice president of human resources. And he said, you know, they're probably going to offer you this job in advertising, but I have one in HR that I think you'd be a really good match for. Would you be interested in? And I decided that a little, I like variety and change. And I thought this change will be good. And I'll know where the jobs are in advertising and are in marketing. And I'll eventually go there in a couple of years. Well, I took the job in HR. I was very much in the right place at the right time in this growing organization. At the time, they were 150 restaurants doing $175 million in revenue with less than 100 people on their corporate office support staff. So um, I was, in, I had the opportunity to grow in that role. And 33 years later, when I retired, I never did make it to marketing. Oh, that's so awesome. All right. So let me ask you this. If head of talent was uh, the grand finale, if you will, what hats did you wear from that entry level? Uh, I'm sure there were stops and pivots and twists and turns in between. So what hats did you wear positionally while you were in that three decade plus journey? Well, I actually started out as the administrator to that HR VP and he resigned 18 months after I went to work there. And that left me in a really interesting position. And so Chick-fil-A was trying to figure out what to do with me. But uh, in the meantime, this guy had taught me a lot. And I was feeling a real need in this young organization. They had no systems around selecting talent for what was then the, the home office, later now called the support staff. But they had no systems for it. Things were just all over the place willy-nilly. And uh, so I just kept doing what he taught me to do. And eventually they decided, well, what she's doing is something we need. So they promoted me and had me keep doing it. And uh, I began there in managing and developing those processes for the corporate talent. And then a few years into it, I think they were starting to see something in me. And they gave me what was one of my favorite jobs ever. I became a recruiter for Chick-fil-A operators or franchisees. They use that term interchangeably. And so I, I had the northeast part of the country, um, which was Kind of fun for me because my marketing skills came out because we still weren't known very well there. They were still calling it Chick-A-A and Chick-Fil-A and all kinds of things. <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time in Jersey and Cleveland and some not so pretty parts of Pennsylvania and Ohio. And, uh, and I learned from that. And then my, I was wondering why my colleagues were in South Florida and California and Texas. But anyway, I, uh, I learned a lot there. Then I came back and I managed both the uh, staff selection processes and the franchisee selection. Then I became the human resources manager uh, and then, you know, adding more and more responsibilities in different, different parts of HR until finally in 2001, I became the vice president of talent. And my job included all the HR functions, the selection of franchisees, wellness, corporate child care, um, you know, culture and engagement, talent acquisition, talent management, learning and development, all those things. Uh, no big deal. That, 
All right. That, that's super cool. I, I love where you're bringing us. All right. So not only from the research I've done, but just from what I know about you to date and for all playmakers tuning in, everybody, yourself included, and everybody listening in, we all have a gift. Sometimes we don't always realize what that gift is. Oftentimes, and I'm going to get to some of the questions that you probe and ask others in order to find what that gift is. But for you, one of several that I've identified, and it just screams out of not only your bio, but just who you are from a character level is you have a knack. You have a true gift for selecting world-class talent. So if selecting talent is where I want to take us next, I'm curious, you've been in the talent space for many years. I'm curious if it's been a consistent view of talent. In other words, if I was to ask the Deanne of 20 years ago, what do you look for in talent? Would that answer still be the same today? Would it be any different? So talk to us about maybe what some of your uh, prior views were and whether that stayed consistent or whether you now have totally shifted your mindset when you select talent. Well, you know, Paul, that if you have a gift and you don't use it, you lose it, right? And so I think that you have to grow in that over time. And if it stays the same, I don't, I don't know that you get to keep that gift. So very much so did that grow in me over time. When I started out, I thought a lot of it was hunches and gut. And I do think that, um, I do think that some of us, I mean, we're all gifted differently. And I do think I have the, uh, an intuitive gift, but that's not the way to select great talent. If you want to select great talent, you got to do the work. And the work includes, um, t- taking all those steps in the process to really get to know someone and identify what their character is. And I was looking for character that matches the organization, know what their competency is, competency that matches the role, and chemistry, chemistry that matches the team. And so what I learned early on in my career when I would brag, and I'm embarrassed to say this, I would say, you know, within 30 seconds of them getting off the elevator, I know whether they're going to be uh, selected or not. And I learned that I, sometimes I was dead wrong. Sometimes it was great talent that I missed, and sometimes it was uh, poor talent that I um, thought would be a great candidate. And then when I did the work, I realized that wasn't the case at all. So over time, I think there's some things that I think make great talent. I think people who make great decisions are good people to select. I thought that 35 years ago. I still think that today. That doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. Every one of us has made a bad decision. I want to know how that person recovers from that, how they how they go forward differently after making that poor decision. But I'm looking for somebody who has good judgment and the ability to make great decisions. Uh, and I can tell that sometimes by the track record that they've uh, made. Um, I look for people who are willing to serve others because you know what? It doesn't matter what our role is. We all or have to serve somebody. We're either serving the customer, we're serving somebody who's serving the customer. Even if we're the CEO, we're serving a board. So we're always serving someone. And I think people who um, have a servant's uh, heart, I mean, I think they make whatever they do in life, they can be uh, doctors, they can be school teachers, they can be business executives, they can be fast food workers. They are better at what they do if they have a servant's heart. Um, I look for people who have an inner locus of control. They're not looking to blame other people or be a victim, but they believe that what they need to do whatever it is, is within them. 
and that if it is to be, it's up to them, or if it is to be, it's up to me is the way I say it. And um, so I look for people who have that kind of ownership um, of themselves. And I think that if I hit the, I think I hit the top ones right there in that list. They're universal, that I saw it then that way, and I still see it that way today. And I love how you centralized around character, competency, and chemistry. So that's a great lesson. In, in your case, you're putting an organizational wrapper on it, but I think that's great perspective for every individual, whether you're in a big box org, whether you're a solopreneur or anybody in between, those are just things. Like when I think of character, I think of value. So I'm tying it all to purpose now, values being a part of the purpose and how you bring it to life. That's character. Competency, those are those skills, those gifts, those talents that expressed over over time. Um, and I also think that can be some of those early origin stories of passion. Many of our playmakers are on that discovery mission of what they're most passionate about. So we'll probably come back there. And then chemistry, who's your tribe? And there should be an attract and repel dynamic. Not every single, I, and I mean this from a good place, and I'm sure you can appreciate this. Chick-fil-A isn't for everybody. Chick-fil-A is perfect for the right people. And then there's other peoples that say, well, Maybe I have a different view or a different lens. And that's great if that's authentically your view. So where I want to bring us is, all right, we had this beautiful journey in Chick-fil-A. I know you had some significant time with founder uh, Truett Cathy. So whether it's from her or whether it's somebody else, um, is there a piece of advice over your tenure with Chick-fil-A, a piece of advice that was given to you that really made a major impact on you, whether personally or professionally? Well, I think with Truett, he gave me a lot of advice. And one of the um, early pieces, and it was actually the first piece of advice he gave me and the last conversation we had before he passed away in 2014, and it was this. People decisions are the most important decisions a leader makes. And if you think about it, your organization's success rises and falls on the people decisions that you make. And that's why the um, title of my second book is Bet on Talent. You can bet on a lot of things, strategy, marketing plans, location, technology. Um, but in the end, it's the talent that's the great differentiator because all of those other things can be copied and duplicated. Um, but talent is all unique in its own. Um, yeah, no, that's great perspective. I'm so glad that you called that out that he said about people decisions. And it's funny, I was looking through a few of your older uh, blogs. And so the, the old line of when we hear about strategy and culture eat strategy for breakfast, but I believe the title of it was, and please playmakers, check it out. This amongst many other blog posts on Deanne's website, but culture eat strategy for lunch. And so a little twist on the menu there, which by the way, fun, uh, fun question for you here. And then we're going to go deeper on purpose. What's your go-to order at Chick-fil-A? Depends if I'm being good or not. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a purist and the number one Chick-fil-A sandwich with pickles. Um, don't take them off with pickles and waffle fries in a sweet tea is my favorite, but most of the time I'm eating a cop salad. So <laughs> when okay. I go there with, right. grilled, with grilled nuggets instead of fried, but. Anyway, like I said, depends if I'm splurging or cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So let's go into purpose. If you could reflect back, and this could be personal years way before Chick-fil-A, it can be a part of your professional journey. Uh, I know it's probably some years back because you've been 
just so deep in this space that you and I are in in thought leadership for some time now, whether you had the internal role or now you're, you're out there doing your own thing. But if I was to ask you, so if a playmaker is starting to think about their purpose and they may be much earlier in their journey, they have yet to discover it. I'm going to get to what are the steps they can take in a bit. The first thing I still want to stay on your story. Do you remember the first time or for, or the chapter of life where you really started to think about purpose? Yeah, um, I I don't think I saw purpose as broad. I saw purpose more from a, a standpoint of vocation. Um, and I'll get to a minute when I figured out purpose, but that led me basically. But I was thinking more of vocation. And so when I was eight, from the time I was eight years old, I wanted to be a writer. I love to write. I love I loved to express myself that way. And I love when people appreciated it. Um when I went to college, I studied journalism, and I really intended to go into a path of, um, it, that was my path, that's a long story, but that's how I ended up advertising. And uh, I'd been at Chick-fil-A for a couple of years, and I was doing this, what was called human resources work then, and I was really a little upset with myself, because I feel like I, had, I thought I had veered off my calling. I wasn't doing what I saw myself doing, and it all of a sudden, it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like my calling was to help other people find their calling. And that's what I was doing on a daily basis, was putting those pieces of the puzzle together. And I was, about that time, I was probably about 23, 24 years old, but I never doubted after that. And, you know, it didn't change. Even though I changed careers, I left Chick-fil-A, went out on my own, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still helping other people find their calling. So um, I think that we can totally change our vocation and totally change what our career is and still fulfill a calling uh, if it's, you know, broad enough like that. Yeah, it's so cool. And I mentioned to you before we even went on air that you and I have A, a ton in common, but B, especially our specific purpose, because I've heard you say the exact same thing you said about calling. My calling is to help others find their calling. I've also heard you say my purpose is to help others find their purpose and literally, whether it's in my book, The Power of Playing Offense, or in any other interview, folks tapping into this can verify that I've always described that as my purpose. And so I'm less about, you know, people always ask me about specific causes. And I say, my cause is to help you find your cause. The same way, my purpose and your purpose. Just quick side question. I didn't plan on asking this, but I'm just so curious if I'm a playmaker listening in, so you and I were speakers, authors, thought leaders, whatever other ways you want to describe the space that we're in, is it possible to have the purpose of helping others find their purpose or the calling of helping others find their calling when they're not in this kind of coaching capacity that you and I are in? Like if I'm just plugging into a big box org, can that still be somebody's purpose or do you just think it's more common in our thought leadership space? No, I think that that can be certainly be a, a purpose that somebody has. Um, you know, I, I know people that their whole purpose is I, I, I've got this friend. I love his purpose. Um, he has a and maybe it's a mission. You know, you, we can't mince words, but to spread a million joys. And I could give you examples of how he does that. And, and I mean, he runs a business, but that's not necessarily it's who he is in every aspect of his life. He certainly displays that through his business, but he also displays it in his personal life and with all of his personal relationships. But that's just his personal purpose, to spread a million joys. And he spread a few with me, so I know he's on track. Hi, <laughs> Playmakers. It's about that time to discover your why. 
It only takes five minutes. And on the other side, you will better understand who you are, how you think, and why you do what you do. Here's how you get the assessment. Text the word why to 310-564-7857. Again, open up a text and send the word why to 310-564-7857. For coaching after, DM me. For now, let's get back to the show. A debate we always have on this show is, I love how you said mincing words because I used to self-admittedly interchange the words why and purpose. And part of why I'm writing my second book is to draw a very clear line in the sand that just like your perspective on selecting talent evolved over the years, my thoughts and deep beliefs about purpose and how I describe it and how I define it have evolved. I used to use why and purpose interchangeably up until as recently as let's call it a year ago. So this is very hot off the press. And now I realize that I do think you can have a singular why, but I think the purpose is more of the lifestyle that follows. It's the 365 game, if you will. Like I could have purpose as a parent. I could have purpose in my work. I could have purpose in the community. I could have purpose to something that's more worldly. So purpose to your point, I think like to use your um, your relationship as an example, you can spread a million joys in many different ways if that happens to be your purpose. And so I, I, I love where you're bringing us. So now let's focus on playmakers. I'm lost. I'm stuck. I don't know what my purpose is. Where do I start? What perspective would you have for a person in that situation? So the first thing I think about is what gets me up in the morning? What really gets me excited, fires me up, I'd start there. The second thing I'd do is I'd ask other people, tell me what I do best. Tell me what gift you see in me. I love the way you pointed that out in the very beginning of our interview, that you saw something based on your research. And by the way, I think other people would say, yeah, that's one of my greatest gifts. That's what I do. Um, and But what do other people tell you that you do really well? Um, I think... The next thing I think about is, okay, so what does the world need that I can offer? What is it, what unique gift, I mean, there can be other people, but, you know, what's really special about me? What's my superpower that the world needs? And think about that. And then this is, uh, I'm a person of faith, Paul. So my last one and um, might resonate with some of your listeners, it might not, but I, I, I asked the question myself, when do I feel God's pleasure? whoever God is to you. But when do I feel God's pleasure? Like I'm doing the thing I was created to do. Um, But those are some of the things that I have been introspective about when I'm looking for that and I coach others to be and I write about um, when you're really trying to find what that purpose is. So I love where you bring us to recap for all playmakers listening in. If you are in a scenario where you feel stuck, you don't know where to start, you haven't tapped into that discovery of purpose, nevertheless, the activation of it, A few questions that Deanne proposes for us. Number one is what, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these, but what gets you up in the morning? Number two, what do you do that others see in you and say you're the best at? And number three, what is a problem in the world that you can solve, that you were inspired to solve? And then fourth, and again, even though this has a, in your case, a religious context, I think for all playmakers, we can appreciate that we always hear the word spirit surrounded around purpose. So whatever it is, whoever it is that you believe in, is there kind of a higher order 
that you feel uh, called to, inspired by that, like in my case, and I'll, I'll say this, Deanna, and I feel very comfortable sharing this publicly. So losing my dad at 19 and being an only child and all playmakers know the backstory, so I don't need to go into the weeds of it, but literally I have a conversation with him every day. So in your case, it may be a conversation with God. In my case, it's a conversation with my dad. A, because I miss the heck out of him and I just want to talk to him every day. And he was my hero and my role model. And B, I just, you know, I want to make sure I'm making him proud. I want to just, you know, tell him how stoked I am to be a new father and all these things. But that's an example of maybe there is, unfortunately, maybe a lot of us, and I know in your backstory, you've lost immediate family and loved ones. And that's just, that's something I don't want to share in common with you, but, but that's where we are. And that's just a reality. So again, for all playmakers, I want to be, very respectful of how we position everything, but just um, find find somebody or or a spirit that you can tap into. Let me ask you this: so big professional background, Deanne, that we've been going through. We often connect purpose to work. I think that's something that a lot of folks yearn for. I think most people in the world don't have that sense of connection, but that is something that's more in their future optimal state. Challenging question, but. Do you have to find purpose at work? Like, does your work have to fulfill your purpose? Or can you be a happy person that feels joy, that considers yourself to have a great life, but yet you feel 0% of purpose in your work? How, how, how would you wrestle with that idea? Yeah, I think that's a life or a career long search of lining those things up that we look for. I was very fortunate early on. I had that experience of where I, and it was somewhat accidental. I mean, I, you know, I, I stumbled into it, if you will, where those things aligned, but I have three grown sons of my own. I know about their own challenges of, okay, is the work I'm doing aligned to what I really think my purpose is? And for a lot of people, you're exactly right. It's like, no, I'm making a living. I'm doing what I have to do to be responsible. But hopefully over the course of time, those things, you will work yourself into a position and that becomes a goal of at some point in my life, I have to have some alignment around that to be happy because you spend a lot of time working for it to not align at all with your purpose. Now, I, I suggest some things for people in the meantime, um, when they discover their purpose and it's not attached to their vocation, what do they do? Well, you use that in your in all other aspects of your life. Become a volunteer at a place that you can use your gift. I mean, many, many organizations, everything from hands-on helpers to board members need people. You know, I'll tell you early, one of the great experiences I had early in my career was the opportunity to sit on boards. Now, what was great about this is, you know, when I would sit in a meeting room and, and, and truthfully, where it helped me was the fact that most of my meeting rooms were full of men. At, at, at work, it was like that. You know, the leaders were men. I'd go on these boards and they'd all be men. And I got to try out things and styles in these boardrooms that didn't affect my career, but taught me things about how to better communicate in my career. So these can be great um, outlets for fulfilling your purpose and learning things that will eventually help you connect your purpose in your career as well. Mm, so good. So good. Talk to us. What is Deanne up to post Chick-fil-A? Talk to us about all the work you've been into. And if you want to separate, I know from our prior chats before today, we could separate. Oh, I only say this because we're both authors. Let's call it the chapters of life. So if 
pre-Chick-fil-A was a chapter, the journey of Chick-fil-A is a chapter, what you've been up to ever since is a chapter, and you alluded to there may be another chapter in the future. So uh, we'll get there eventually, but what have you been up to ever since you decided to uh, to hang up the cleats? I'll use a sports analogy. You hung up the cleats from Chick-fil-A. What have you been up to ever since? Well, I do love sports. In fact, a big part of the last three years is our son was a Wake Forest football player. So um, yes. it freed me up in the fall to enjoy lots of college <laughs> football and uh, on the heels of great season for them. But uh, really what I've been up to is, is it's funny, we've been talking about purpose, but it was just the next way of fulfilling that purpose. And I told you that I always wanted to be a writer from the time I was eight years old. And part of what helped me make my decision, which was the hardest decision uh, I made in my lifetime was to leave. And I say that it took me less time to decide to marry my husband. Um, but it, uh, it, but it really was a hard decision. But part of what made that decision easier for me is I had a contract to write two more books. And it just, it just really looked like, Hey, this is the opportunity to do the thing you've always wanted to do. I was already speaking about 50 times a year on behalf of Chick-fil-A. And so it just fit really nicely that I could go and pursue all of that and just live the dream. And um, so I wrote two more books, Bet on Talent and Crush Your Career, which that one came out last March. Um, up until COVID, I was speaking 50 times a year in person. And actually in 2020, I still spoke way over 50 times because I ended up being virtual um, so much. 2021, thank goodness, put me back um, in person. I feel like that's a much better uh expression of my personal brand is impersonal it is in person so uh back out at that and um continuing to speak this the first time in seven years i haven't been on a writing deadline um so i've just enjoyed uh developing content in other ways uh, the crush your career e-course is going to be released in the next couple of months so i'm excited uh, to see where that goes and then uh yeah i'm i'm Thinking about what's next, I had a 33-year long chapter at Chick-fil-A, and I realized that the next chapter is not 33 years, and that (laughs) I might have several left in me, but um, I'm still thinking about um, what that could be. Very cool. Very cool. And I know something that really struck me from our prior convos too. Uh, You mind sharing uh, what you're up to at High Point University? I know that was something that um, it's in the current chapter, but I I, I see the through line of service. I see the through line of gratitude. I see the through line of calling and purpose and mission and all that great stuff. So yeah, just would, would love to bring our playmakers in just to shine a light on the great stuff you're doing at High Point. Oh, Paul, I'm loving that. This has been such uh, energy creation for me. I'm serving as a talent expert in residence with them. And so I spend a couple of times a year in person. And then, in fact, when we finish our time today, I have a one-on-one mentoring call with a a fellow uh, student there that she is absolutely outstanding. But being able to pour into those young people and their response to it has been tremendous. And so I, I do a lot of teaching about uh, just all aspects. I'm teaching some leadership things in the business school, and yet I'm teaching through career development office on how to get prepared to go get a job, to, uh, just all kinds of opportunities there. What a fantastic institution they are. One of the things I love about what High Point does is they don't run it like an academic institution. Dr. Nino Quibane runs it like a business, and the students are the customers, the students and their families. And so the institution really serves to serve them as customers. And I think the kids are getting a fantastic education. I love being a part of it. Let me ask you this. So you and I, we've served 
in the corporate community. Then we've also both done work at the university level. So I'm kind of aging backward, right? We started at, well, let's call it the adult stage and then the young adult stage, whether they're parents listening in or whatever other hats. And I, I asked this question a little selfishly because I'm, I got a little one-year-old man in, in the house and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about the decades ahead. But a lot of these topics are really heavy in the sense of they're big, they're conceptual. Like, are you really going to be talking to per, about purpose to a 10-year-old? I don't know. And maybe you would call it something different. I would just love to pick your brain on, maybe we call them life skills. If somebody listening in, a playmaker, is raising uh, a, a child, and we can say they're from high school and younger, what are the life skills you think that are critical, that are must-haves, that are non-negotiables, if you want to have the greatest chance of that happiness, that joy, that fulfillment, that purpose? Like, it kind of tees you up, but it starts with some fundamental life skills. H how would you educate us in that space? I've actually given a lot of thought to this, and I wonder if my next um, book, especially after I have grandchildren, I'm really thinking about my next book is translating some of those concepts that work in the business world to a children's book. Like, how do you start developing some of these things in yourself from a very young age? And I think, number one, one of the life skills that's really important is in the family to have a set of core values and to teach this idea of core values um, because it will help them know who they are, be grounded in who they are as they go out into the world, which becomes more and more challenging in every possible way. And then also they'll know what they're looking for to match themselves with the right career and the right organizations uh, that will, will be the right fit for them. So I think um, that's one of the things I talk about with the material I bet on town about establishing a meaningful purpose um, and a challenging mission and core values. That doesn't just exist in organizations or on sports teams or in educational institutions. That can exist in your family. And to have uh, a why for your family, to have a, a goal or to make goals that you're trying to achieve together that you talk about, and to have a set of core values, behavior, beliefs that you demonstrate these behaviors in your family, that is, to me, that's just the perfect foundation if you start there when we talk about these young people. And the next you want them to be prepared to um, launch, obviously, on their own. And this is some of what I've seen. I mean, looking back is, again, I have a 31-year-old uh, and 220-something. So looking back on this, and, and by the way, by the time you get to the third time, they're just about raising themselves, you know. The first time you <laughs> hover, the second time, okay, I'm loosening up. By the third time, he's raising himself. But um, seriously, allowing them to make mistakes, to own those mistakes, to feel consequences when they live at home will save you a lot of heartache later. Um, you know, I, I'm on the forum. I have been on the forums over time on the, you know, the parents forums on social media for the different schools my kids have attended. And to hear these parents talk about the problems that they're solving, I mean, some really basic life skills problems like he didn't take a suitcase and I don't know how he's going to get his stuff home from school. What should I do? It's like, it sounds like his problem. <laughs> and, and to get people into their late teens and 20s and not be able to um, solve those basic problems, their future is not looking really bright. So you want them to make those mistakes when they're in your home and can be coached by you and feel those consequences in your presence so you can help them. 
So when they forget the homework, let them live with that. You know, when they forget their uniform, let them live the consequences of that. I think that's just a really, really important um, life skill for them to learn. Teach them to be communicators. Um, and one of the ways is you've got to have family time that you put away all the devices. And especially mom and dad, because sometimes they're the biggest uh, violators of that. Guilty. Put away those de- yeah, put away those devices and teach them how to communicate and have conversations. One of the things I'm seeing among these college students and these young adults is so many of them struggle just with the skill of having a conversation, and that's going to hurt them and their ability to live out their purpose vocationally. So um, that's just another thing that I really encourage uh, for families to do and for parents is to teach them, uh, you know, if they can learn, if they read a lot, they learn to write well, and they learn to speak well, they can do just about anything. Um, So focus on those. Um, Another thing in preparing them is let them become who they are and uh, really encourage the natural gifts instead of the, you know, we're all guilty of it, the things you love instead of the things you love, figure out what they love and encourage them in it. They'll be happier. They'll be more successful. And again, it'll help them find their way in the future too, because they'll have confidence that whatever they find is good enough. It's right for them instead of looking for somebody else to validate um, what they decide. Such phenomenal perspective. And I know that we put the parent cap on there for a second, but I'll tell you, as I look back at the voracious notes that I was just taking there, I'm putting my corporate hat on, I'm putting my relationship hat on, I'm putting everything, A, alignment of values, which fun fact there, Deanne, is no joke. Last year, I did a workshop for this amazing, amazing uh, high growth startup. I'll I'll leave them nameless out of confidence because they're still uh, um, in in their growth stage. But uh, the CEO hits me up after because we did some values work at the org level, at the team level. Then he says, hey, and imagine if you want to respond to this text message. He says, hey, Paul, I've got a billion dollar idea for you. (laughs) So I'm like, "Um, color me curious. And so, of course, we're chatting within about two seconds. And he says, I know you're probably not ready for this, but if you did the exact same thing you just did with my team and you did it with couples, you, you were the relationship values guy. I think you could build a billion dollar business and I have the funding and, you know, he just riffed on it. But I think business venture aside, think about what he's saying. The compatibility of people relies on the understanding and connection of values. It doesn't mean they need to match, but the empathy and the ability to understand one another and to say, if that's who you authentically are, those are your values. Do I accept you for who you are? Because if I start to chip away at that authenticity, if I start to make you live on my terms or on somebody else's terms, that story could have a very ugly ending. And so needless to say, I I think a lot of stuff you just said, yes, parenting, but also relationships, also allowing people to make mistakes, um, guilty as charged in a corporate role. Gosh, like somebody does a hundred things, Deanne, and you know this, they do a hundred things and they do 99 right and they never hear a word. And then they do that one thing wrong and they never hear the end of it. Like a person makes a mistake, let's say 1% of the time and they just get beat down and then they don't get recognized 
for the 99 bright spots. So that's, that's a perspective for playmakers. Teaching communication, yes, especially given the tech that is surrounding us and being where our feet are. And I love your last point. Let people become who they are. And I think the beautiful question there is just asking yourself from the inside out, all playmakers right now, before we cut out of here, ask yourself who you are and then ask yourself, who do you want to become? And if there's a gap, what are the actions you're willing to take to get there. So Deanne, that is where we will end this. And before we hop off, and I have some just words from my soul that I want to share with you in closing, but where can we find you? Where can we follow you? How can we tap into all of the wisdom and thought leadership that you shared today? Sure. My website is deanneturner.com, D-E-E-A-N-N, turner.com. And by the way, your listeners can pick up some free goodies on that website. I, uh, yes, they'll join my mail list, but I hardly ever send emails, so they'll be okay. And then also <laughs> connect with me on LinkedIn. And then I have an Instagram at Deanne Turner, Twitter at Deanne Turner and Deanne Turner author on Facebook. Love it. Love it. And for all playmakers, you know that we share a lot of values of how you can live and lead on purpose. When I uh, reached out and it, it makes sense now, just reflecting back on this combo. But when I asked Deanne if any of those values resonated, besides, of course, the common answer, which is all of them, service and gratitude were on your list. And Deanne, from the soul, like the way you pour yourself into, it's more than a message. Uh, it's, you're so driven by leaving every person better than you found them. And I, I sense that and I feel that, and I hope that all playmakers tapped into that service bone in your body. And you just have a tremendous spirit of gratitude as well. And so I, I think those are all phenomenal lessons for us to uh, follow. And so playmakers, please, we'll put all the links in the show notes to how you can find and follow Deanne. Deanne, thank you so much for being on. And I can't wait to see what the future store. Thank you so much, Paul. It's great to be with you. Another episode in the books. You know the drill. If it added value to your life, subscribe, share, leave a review, and help grow our Playmaker community. For keynote speaking and why coaching, visit paulepsteinspeaks.com. And last call, if you haven't already, take your why discovery now. Pull out your phones and text the word why to 310-564-7857. Again, text the word why to 310-564-7857. Playmakers is proudly produced by Detroit Podcast Studios. Until the next time, dominate the day on purpose.